0: Welcome to the Good Question with Jessica Tanderup podcast. I'm Jessica and I have a passion for asking hard questions and going deep in conversation. Usually these discussions happen over dinner or coffee with a close friend, but on this podcast, I bring them to you because I want you to know, if you have questions, you're not alone. On this show, I invite apostolic leaders, Thinkers and fellow believers to tackle the tough topics questioners face as we strive to live out our biblical mandate to love God, love people, and take the gospel to the whole world here in the 21st century. I hope you'll stick around because when you know Jesus is the answer, every question can be a good question. Hey, friends, welcome to episode 31 of Good Question. Today, we are talking the practical realities of evangelism and discipleship with Josh Krebs. Josh is the REACH pastor for the Church Today Tulsa, which is where Dave and I and our girls attend. And we have discovered you don't need to hang out with Josh Krebs for long before you see his deep love for and commitment to souls. We talk about his personal testimony and the passion that was birthed in him through his experience of coming to God and into the church. It's a fantastic, insightful conversation that I believe can truly revolutionize our perspective on reaching souls in 2021. I know it's going to bless you, so here we go. Let's hear from Pastor Josh Krebs. Josh Krebs, welcome to Good Question. Hey, thanks for having
1: me. I'm excited to be here.
0: I'm excited to have you here. You and I go to church together. We've had some good conversations recently that we're going to try to Expand on and bring to our listeners here on the podcast today. I'm really excited about the things that we're going to talk about today. But before we jump into talking about evangelism and outreach and Bible studies and all these fun topics, I want you to just introduce yourself for our listeners and tell them a little bit about who you are.
1: Yeah, sure. I'm Josh Krebs. I attend church at the church today. Me and my family fulfill the role of reach pastor. Before, Kind of some background, I did not grow up in church. I come from a divorced family. Uh, In fact, both my parents have been divorced and remarried three times.
0: Mm.
1: And so our Christmas vacations and holidays are always a blast because we have so many places to travel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I didn't grow up in church. And in fact, I didn't get saved until I was around 25. Baptized in Jesus' name and received the Holy Ghost. So I feel like I have a different perspective of the Apostolic Church mm-hmm. because it is something that I chose. It's not something that I grew up in. It wasn't something that was kind of like just our lifestyle growing up. It, it, it was something that I found and changed our lives. Yeah. So, you know, I feel excited about the Apostolic Doctrine. So, that's a little bit of background about me coming from a split home. We did not grow up in church. In fact, a little bit about my testimony, I was a, a little bit wild, you know, drinking and a, even using drugs and on the party scene a lot. And me and Crystal had our first child at 19, and she was actually actually she was 18, and I was 19. And I was holding him at her graduation. So when she walked the stage, I had Caden in my hands and we was cheering her on. But we didn't we didn't make it and we split up. And I got more in the alcohol and more in the drugs. And I was 19 and just depressed and lost. But anyways, I decided that I'd had enough and I wanted to straighten my life up. And so I did that, but I still didn't know Jesus. I still didn't have the church. And me and Crystal had became friends again through co-parenting and um, became best friends, really, and got married. And Mm -hmm. now we're married at 20 or 21, okay? And um, we didn't have Jesus. And so I had quit drinking. I I had quit using drugs. And I had tried my best to straighten up. But our marriage, as best as we wanted it to be, it, it still wasn't just fool. And that's what actually led me to Jesus. It, it wasn't necessarily a statement I was making. It was a question, but I had met pastor at a job. We worked together, Pastor Longstreet. I, I had made a statement to him and I said, I, I want to be a better man. And it was kind of a question like, "How how do you do that? Mm-hmm. And he gave me the most crazy answer ever. You know, I, I thought he was going to give me a, a one, two, three, you know, step plan. And he said, go home and read Acts chapter two, thirty-eight. <laughs> and so I did. I, I did that. In fact, I, I didn't even know what the Holy Ghost was, but God's spirit has stirred me up so much. And it, it still does it today when I read the Bible, but I couldn't sleep. And so I had read like almost a whole book of Acts that night. Met him in the morning, told him I'd read it. I said, I repented. I, I said, I, I don't even know how to pray. You know, would you repent with me? Make sure I did it right. <laughs> so, in, in a, a warehouse at this, you know, manufacturing company with, you know, men's men, you know, Copenhagen spitting on the floor and cussers <laughs> and, you know, it, we're, we're praying together and I began to cry. And that was the first time I felt the power of God. But, um, he asked me a specific question. He said, what do you, what do, you do next? And so I, I said, I, I need to be baptized in Jesus' name. And that's all I had read. I didn't even know people baptized in other formulas. Mm-hmm. So he says, okay, well, when? I said, how about tonight? He said, I can't. I said, it was a Friday. So I said, what about Saturday tomorrow? He said, well, I have a wedding. And I said, they don't do weddings in the morning, so let's do a Saturday morning. <laughs> Me and Crystal and Kyle and uh, I think Caden was with his grandparents, uh, but my my youngest son Kyle was with us. We met him at the second storefront that the church today has and for listeners that know the history. And we got baptized or I got baptized in a back alley in an inflatable pool <laughs> in the name of Jesus. And that's kind of my testimony. And that's where it all began for me. And that's where uh, our marriage and all of the glory of God, as you see the fruit in our life, that's the beginning of it. And the reason why I open up with that testimony, because it kind of plays in hand with what we're going to talk about today. And that's who I am. And that's how I got here. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. We have questions sometimes, you know, we like to talk like, hey, if you could change one thing in your life, what would it be? Mm -hmm. Right off the bat, you're like, oh, you know, I would change this. I I would change that. And and then we always come to the same conclusion. It's I wouldn't change anything because it was the journey that led me to where I'm at. And I'm thankful that I'm in the truth. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about it more, but not just me. It's affected my whole family, uh, my extended family, my co-workers, my friends and neighbors. And they're, they're getting the truth, you know? Yeah. And so I, I wouldn't change anything. In fact, I didn't get to listen to your last episode, but I seen it was the threshing floor. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an amazing name because God takes that process and begins to thresh us, right? And at the end, you know, he he even prays, Jesus prays for Peter and says, I pray for you because the devil wishes to sip you as wheat. Right. And all of those parts of my testimony that led us here was making us perfect, you know, making us have, as James would say, patience. But I, I wouldn't trade anything for that because that's, to Josh Krebs that you know that we're going to talk about. That's where I'm from. And that's why I have a lot of passion for evangelism and for sharing this thing, because I know the power of it. I know yeah. the power of the gospel, but I know that's a long introduction. <laughs> uh, I hope that's not too much, no, but It's that's not. kind it's of perfect. the foundation of, yeah, that's the foundation of who we are. Okay.
0: Yeah. So, okay. So you mentioned that you are married to Crystal. You guys have two boys. How old are your boys?
1: Yes. Kyle is 13 and Caden is 19.
0: Okay. And so this story that you've just told about whenever you first came into the church and you were baptized in the alley in the inflatable pool, how long ago has that been? That was
1: 2010, September 11, 2010.
0: Okay. So we're coming up on an anniversary.
1: Yeah. Yeah. As we
0: record. Yeah. So that's about 11 years now.
1: I left out one of the coolest parts of that story. Kyle was still in diapers at the time, you know? And uh, when Pastor, I was in the the pool and Pastor's praying over me and he's fixing to baptize me for the remission of my sins. And uh, there was a splash and Kyle had... You know, stripped down, out of his diaper, out of his clothes, and he went, you know, completely naked and done a cannonball in the inflatable pool. And so he he was in the waters of baptism with me, and he um, he asked me not to share that story no That's more. That's hilarious. It's too great not to share. You know,
0: I love that. That's really funny. Put a kid close to a pool. What else are they gonna do, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah so you mentioned in the beginning of your introduction that your title or position or the role that you play at the church today is known as the reach pastor and that's a little bit of a unique name so i want you to tell me what that means to you that you are the
1: reach pastor sure so let me do my best on that we were the student pastors for some years and um We moved out of that role and Brooke and Rustin took over and they're doing a great, fantastic job. And um, I'm not unhappy at all when they go on those late night trips, you know, because they're (laughs) younger. But anyways, I have always felt called to the fivefold ministry. I felt called specifically to the role of an evangelist. And so the REACH ministry... Is actually titled by Pastor Longstreth. He came up with it, but we didn't want it to be outreach. We wanted it to be reach. And we did that on purpose because the concept behind it, which this is a new ministry at the church today, and pastor gives us a lot of space to be creative with it and make it kind of our own. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, COVID came in as we were trying to get things going, (laughs) you know, and everything got shut down. But the idea behind it is that we're not just reaching the community; we have one arm in the church and one arm in the community. So our goal is to reach the community, obviously, but we're trying to give the church a window to see in to evangelism. We're just not trying to be the evangelist, but we're trying to be the face of it so we want to motivate the church. We want to get the church uh, excited about it. We want to empower the church to teach Bible studies, to baptize their coworkers, to lead them to this truth and not just us be doing it or a pastor or the evangelist, but to be the face of it, to kind of be the, the motivation behind it, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it does. And I think it's, it's really wise because it means that you're not the one responsible for going out and finding all the new people who need to know about that should be all of our responsibility we should all be doing that and so in your role you're obviously personally very involved in those types of activities but you're also then providing some opportunities and some instruction for us as a church body on kind of some ideas of how to do that how to work that into our lives so that it's happening naturally and not just kind of the traditional way, which was, you know, knocking doors on a Saturday morning.
1: Yes, yes.
0: So you mentioned that you have been able to speak to a lot of people at your job. I know that you've done a lot of Bible studies at your job. Teaching one-on-one Bible studies has always been a way that I have seen even my, my own family reaching people and being able to really impact people's lives. And I know that you have seen that too. Talk to me a little bit about that. I think it's intimidating for a lot of people.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Can you give some encouragement, some maybe tips, some tricks, things that you think people might not know about teaching a Bible study and kind of how to get started in doing it?
1: Yeah, so going back to REACH ministry and then leading into the Bible studies, I was just reading the other day in Luke chapter six, and he says, and you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not. You do not do the things which I say, you know, and, and that really convicted me. I wake up each morning and I, I don't just say this. I literally wake up and I'm like, who am I going to reach today? Who am I going to impact today? What word is God going to give me to give somebody in their life today? So I'm praying. I'm thinking about that. That's what my mindset is when I wake up. And the reason why that scripture kind of convicted me is because it's followed by Luke's version of the Beatitudes, right? And before that, it comes to the golden rule and it's treat others as you expected to be treated. Mm -hmm. And it's followed up by some verses before we get to 46 where it says, why do you call me this and you don't do the things I say? And the verses are actually talking about kingdom ethics, and Jesus is talking about that we're demanded a higher level of relational commitment than those of the world, okay? So I'm not trying to preach a sermon. I, I'm just giving you the scripture that convicted me that'll lead right into what we're talking about for yeah. the listeners, okay? So Jesus is asking us to have a higher demand of relational commitment. And he goes on to say this scary stuff. He talks about the world. He says they only do good to their own, right? They only love their own. They lend expecting a return. And so he's saying that you can do that easily to those, but can you do that to everybody else, right? And so he's talking about a sacrificial and loving attitude that reflects the glory of Jesus, okay? So what I'm trying to say is that talking about Bible studies I would change the mindset of the church with Bible studies, and I would try to change the mindset to discipleship. And what I mean by discipleship is that everything that we do, everything that we do is leading to a relationship with someone, a coworker, a neighbor, a family member all of the things that we do, the way we behave. So if the world would would do good to their own, then we ought to do good to the world, right? Yes. If the world would love their own, then we should love their own. If the world would lend expecting a return, we should lend expecting no return. And so I don't want to step in hot water, but the church where we are right now, it's like The church doesn't mind loving their own. We have no problem in the church loving each other. There's no problem with that, right? We don't have any problems with doing good for each other. We don't have any problems with lending to each other. Sometimes we lend with expectation, like, does pastor know I'm serving? You know, Mm -hmm. like, I'll volunteer, but does pastor know I'm volunteering? I'll volunteer, but am I going to be posted on the social media? You know, and Jesus is saying that, like, the world does that. We shouldn't be like that. And so, when it comes to Bible studies, the most effective thing I found is that if we can be like that, if we can call Jesus Lord and we can do the things which He says, right, which He gives us a commission, a great commission, it's not just an idea, it's not just a suggestion. It's the king of kings. It's the one that Revelation says holds the keys to hell and death. And he tells us to go out and preach the gospel to the world. (laughs) That's powerful. I don't know about you, but I don't want to deny that. I, I take that as a commandment. Now, where we get intimidated is Especially as apostolics, it's like Bible study, Bible study, Bible study, Bible study. That's all you hear: Bible study, Bible. Study. And then we start saying, "Well, I can't teach a Bible study. Uh, I don't feel confident teaching. I don't like public speaking. All of these excuses we have. But all we actually have to do is be good to those who are around us, love those that are around us, lend to those, and don't re- expect a return. Okay, like. We go to the football game. I only planned on going to one football game at East Central High School, which is right by our church. We was blessed to be able to feed them and speak to the team, and, and we were going to go to the game. Well, when we got there, there was such conviction on us. And, and by the way, that's what changes the world, because the conviction is going to change your heart. And it was like, how do we not go back? How do we just show up and leave? and so we found ourselves at every single game but we didn't win anybody over in a bible study but we got invited down to the field by the end of the season and we were hanging out with the football players by the end of the season and we were meeting the coaches and uh the principals and and so forth with the staff and all they said was this this was what was incredible they said josh thank you so much for just caring you know they said Nobody out here cares about us. And they even named other churches that came and fed one time and they never seen them again. Just the church today showing up in the stands and giving the players high fives and waving at them and, and being there smiling, it was such a light to them. And that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to pull people out of darkness and we have to be that light, right? So I say all that to say, I would try to change the mindset of the church from Bible studies to relationships because Jesus said, follow me. I think he said it like 13 times in the gospel. He never said, hey, come to this Bible study. He never said, hey, come to church with me. He had a relational commitment with them follow me. It was personal. Like, let me be in your lives. And so the way we've had Bible studies is by people giving us permission. They've gave us permission to teach them. And it's normally by a crisis in their life. Honestly, it's like 75% of the Bible studies that we've gave that's led to baptism or Holy Ghost and filled has been from a crisis in somebody's life, that has appeared or has been there and they haven't wanted to talk about it. And it's came out through this relational commitment, right?
0: Yeah, and that's the way that I find it so interesting because that's the way that you found the truth. Right. You weren't looking for Jesus. You weren't looking for the Holy Ghost. You didn't know what that was. You were trying to be a better man. And you looked around and you found someone that you felt like had something that could tell you about how to be a better man.
1: That's it. Pastor Longstreth gave me a Bible study without giving me a Bible study. It was his life. I seen his life and I said, that's the type of man I want to be like. And I didn't know that Jesus said, okay, uh, I'll make you a better man and this is what it's going to look like, you know? And people don't realize that. But that's what I'm trying to say. The greatest Bible study you'll ever teach, the greatest sermon you'll ever preach, the greatest testimony you'll ever have is your life. It's your life. So the way that I have Bible studies at work, it's not like I show up at work and then I say, hey, let's have a Bible study. It's like a year long investment where I'm there for them. I'm buying lunches for them. I'm providing stuff for their kids. I'm taking phone calls late at night. I'm texting them this weird thing that nobody does anymore. Like, hey, thinking of you, praying about, love you. It is so weird because the people that work for me will actually text me and say love you bro, you know, and I'm their boss. <laughs> but that's what I'm trying to say. So then um hey, I was wondering about this or hey, how do I deal with this or hey, this came up and it's like, you know what the word says and then it's like, we should have a Bible study. And normally that gets contagious. So it starts off with one. And at one point it ended up to be like 23 people attending regularly a week before work. And then we get discouraged because um, as apostolics, it's like baptism in Jesus name, filled with the Holy Ghost. You know, that's what we're going for. But we overlook repentance. You know, so you got 23 men coming to work just repenting out of that group a while back two got baptized in Jesus name. One, one got baptized on their wedding day with their wife so it was so cool because they got married and they go into a covenant a contract with each other and and she takes on his name you know and then they they show up at the church before they even go to their honeymoon and they take on jesus's name What I'm trying to say is I would change the mindset of the church from Bible studies. In fact, I would encourage people that you're teaching Bible studies and you don't even realize it. If we would start looking at it as discipleship, if we would start looking at it as relationship, if we would start looking at it like that, and then we would realize. A great book to read would be Follow the Lead I don't know if you've read that before, but he talks about it, and he he talks about if the greatest soul winner ever, let's say he exists and he he wins one soul a day for 30 years, that's only 10,950 souls. But if a person could disciple, if you could be a disciple maker, and you could disciple somebody for one year, and then that person discipled somebody, and then that person discipled somebody, so if this if this process repeated over and over and over and over and over. In 30 years, you're looking at 1 billion people, 1 billion people. It's not a three-day Bible study or a three-week Bible study. It's a one-year commitment. Yeah.
0: And that's what I would say. Well, it's almost like we approach it as not like a contest, but almost like with an adversarial uh, approach of like, I have to get people and I have to convince them. And I have to then, you know, be able to check all these boxes that we walk through these steps. And then I need to move on to the next person and keep doing that over and over again. What I hear you saying is it's about loving people and it's about loving them the way Jesus loves them, no matter if we ever get to the checking the box part or not. Like we just keep pouring out love and eventually that's going to make an impact.
1: That's exactly right. That's what I found. In fact, I would challenge anybody to meet somebody and say, hey, would you like a Bible study?" The answer is going to be no. (laughs) and then you're going to feel very incompetent and you're not going to want to do that again but if you would get down and dirty with somebody's life and it costs a lot the cost of discipleship is a lot but if, if you would give your time your talent and your treasure to these individuals you would find out that it's way more greater reward and then the the first time you lead somebody to repentance and then the waters of baptism and then you see somebody come out of the waters and get the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues. It's an incredible feeling. It's an experience that everybody should experience. And it gives you this like, it's almost a sense of relief where you're like, well, I I can do this, you know? Like, wow, I can do this. And I don't think that I can do this because I'm special. I think that all of your listeners can do this. I think that everybody can do this. In fact, I think that we were saved not to be free from alcohol or free from drugs, which is great because chains break and bondages, you know, uh, generational curses are broken. But God's only intention on saving you was for you to give glory to the kingdom and give it to somebody else. That's why Paul writes and says, I'm a debtor. He's saying that the gospel is so powerful to my life. And I, I can relate to it. It touched my wife, my kids. I have a daughter-in-law who's apostolic. I'm going to have grandkids who's apostolic. You know, It touched my mother, cousins, and, you know, aunts, uncles. My father just got baptized and received the Holy Ghost. But he's saying that the gospel was so powerful that it touched so much that I'm in debt. And the debt that I have to pay is to give it to everybody. I can never pay the debt back. In fact, God doesn't even require you to pay it back. It's just a push it forward type concept. Yeah. So that's what I would say about Bible studies. Now, Bible studies are important, but really they're just the basic part. We're talking about discipleship. Right. And honestly, you're going to have to be very intimate with somebody to be able to invest in their life like that. And so they're going to have to give you permission. And you're not going to get permission without a relationship.
0: Yeah. And I'm thinking back, you you taught a lesson in service a few weeks ago where you were talking about how the way that we enable ourselves and empower ourselves to be that light and to love people that way is by focusing on our own relationship with God and making sure that we're continuing to grow.
1: That's it. If you want a deeper prayer life, if you want to be more into the word, like, you know, I desire to study the word more, or I desire a deeper prayer life, I would tell you to start investing in people. Because once you're involved in the community, you won't have a choice but to be on your knees and praying in the morning. Yeah, you won't have a choice but to skip your lunch break and read the word. Because it'll make you more hungry than you've ever been because you're, you're seeking Jesus. As Paul said, follow me as I follow Jesus. But the best way to do that is to invest in prayer, invest in the word. But what I'm trying to say is like, I know that all of us struggle, like I need to pray more or I, I need to study more. But if you got involved in these types of things, like you can, you can be in church and you can pray, And you can attend service and you can listen to devotions and take notes and not be in the community. But I would say you cannot be in the community, right? If you're in the community, then you're going to be in church. I think I said that backwards, but what I'm trying to say is that it will cause an urgency for prayer, a desire for prayer. It's a discipline that'll turn into a desire. Yeah. You know, The first church in Acts 2, somewhere around verse 46, when it's talking about the apostles' doctrine, you know, breaking bread and going house to house and praying together always, the word church is used or assembled. And it's a Greek word. And it's the first time we ever find the word church. And it doesn't define a building, it's actually defining house to house. You know, it's defining community. It's something that, was always meant to spill over into the community.
0: Yeah, it's it's a mindset shift like we talked about if you could change one thing that I think you're right it would it would revolutionize the way that we live our lives. And in a lot of ways it kind of it's also freeing. I don't have to have like formal training and a degree and like go through all of these steps if I'm just living my life following Jesus letting that be known and drawing people, you know, he said, if, if we lift him up, if he's lifted up, he's drawing on people to himself. So if we're lifting him up in our lives, people are drawn to us. And then we have the opportunity to tell them about him. And it's a natural just outflow of who we are every day. It's not we have force. It's not something that we have to like manufacture. It just happens. And that's the way that we see it was supposed to be all along. Yeah. We need to make it attractive
1: and accessible. So the glory of God should be attractive on you, right? Mm-hmm. It should, man, that, that looks great. And it should look like it's achievable. It shouldn't be something that somebody says, well, I can never be that. I, I can never act like that. So you're, you're going to mess up on your job. You're going to have an attitude one day. You're going to have a bad day. You know, you're going to respond to somebody in a way that you don't feel was proper, like, oh, man, oh I shouldn't have did that. But the most important thing is that we show the way a Christian behaves on that. Like, so how do you correct that?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How do you respond to that? And so people need to see that you're human mm-hmm. and that you make mistakes and it's no big deal. They just need to see how we respond to a mistake. Right. You know, it's not the end mm-hmm. of the world. And then people say, man, I'll never forget, we were having a Bible study at work, five guys in there. And Pastor Longstreth would come on once a week as a guest speaker, you know, and speak to him. And the guys, you know, they weren't, they was amazed by the teaching. You know, half of them got baptized. I think three of them and a wife got baptized. We were having results. But talking to the guys, the thing that they noticed the most is they said stuff like this. They said, wow, you and pastor are normal guys, just like us, (laughs) you know, like you guys are normal, just like us. And it blew their mind. It Hmm. blew their mind that we were just normal men like they were, you know, but love Jesus. And so that, that's what we need to, we need to be sure. We need to be sure that we're presenting ourselves as, you know, you, you can do this too. This isn't some supernatural thing that I'm superhuman. I don't put on a cape every day. I wake up and I put myself on an altar every day, right?
0: Yeah, that kind of leads us into the next thing that I wanted to talk about, which was something you and I have chatted about a little bit off mic, is that there's the the process of someone seeing Jesus in you, of then approaching you. You start these Bible studies, they see the truth. Maybe they're even baptized, receive the Holy Ghost. And then there are sometimes... It feels like a barrier to that person and integrating into the church and starting to grow and furthering in their discipleship. So what do you see as some of those barriers as someone who has come into the church as an adult and then as someone who is trying to lead and disciple people in that direction yourself? Talk to me about some of the barriers.
1: So this is a a tough topic because it's going to be something that is beautiful and it's also a barrier. So holiness standards are is great. Is, is beautiful. But one of the barriers we have at the church is we're trying to reach the community, right? And especially the community that the church is in where we go, you know, sometimes it's lower income. Can you imagine if you invite your friend to church and their door greeters wearing a tuxedo, mm-hmm. you know, and they put on their best t-shirt, you know what I mean? Like it's their favorite t-shirt. It's their nicest t-shirt. They got on their best jeans. It's their favorite pair of jeans. They got on their cleanest shoes. And they come up to the door and they get greeted by somebody in a tuxedo. Right. But but in reality, a suit. And they instantly, they instantly feel judged. They instantly feel like they don't belong and they don't fit in there. So that's a barrier. And if you notice when I I door greet, a lot of times I wear jeans and a, a jacket, all dressed nice but down. I'll dress more of a business casual style because that is a barrier. And we think that it's not, but it is. Another thing is this, and I'm going to kind of bounce back on two things, but giving Bible studies to men and not their wives is difficult. So the best thing I could tell you, if it's possible to give a Bible study to a couple. So if it's a husband and wife, you need to have them both together because what happens is the husband gets it. This has happened many times. Man, I got that. I'm baptized. Even the wife come and gets baptized, but the wife is like, I'll, I'm not going to go there because I'm not going to dress like that. I'm never going to not cut my hair. I'm never going to only wear skirts. I remember the first time that we went to church, an apostolic church, I mean, I knew that pastor was Pentecostal, but like I said, I didn't grow up with this and I didn't really know that the whole, you know, things with it. And me and Crystal went and it was the best experience of our life. We were at church, praise and worship was going. And I had been trying to attend the church after pastor baptized me. And I never, I never was active in worship. And we was at the church and I raised my hands and began to worship God. It was the first time I ever did that. I I remember feeling like I couldn't breathe. And I remember looking over at my wife and tears coming down her face and just feeling the real tangible presence of God. So I'd have to stop there and say, first of all, we don't want to tone down church. That's a mistake that we make. We think that we want to reach the community. So, you know, let's make church more civilized. You know, let's Mm -hmm. tone down the worship. No, they they need an apostolic experience, okay? Mm -hmm. They need to hear preaching like that. They need to experience worship like that. That's what they need. That's what we offer that nobody else offers. But with a pin right there, I remember my wife, She didn't even wear makeup Harley. but she had bought some lipstick and it was pink and and she thought it was fun and she put it on before we went to church and she noticed. She noticed that people aren't wearing makeup. I'm not saying that we should wear makeup. What I'm saying is that people notice. So she's trying to rub it off, you know? She's doing everything she can get it off because she feels out of place. And what I'm saying is that That's one barrier I would tell you that we have is that, you know, I can invite a friend or you can invite a friend or we can meet somebody at Quick Trip, but they come in the door and we think that they don't notice these things, but they do. You know, even my dad the other day said, I'm the only one in there in jeans and tennis shoes. Well, that's easy to notice. But then he went on and said, with a beard. I'm like, man, he noticed that, you know, (laughs) but people notice these things. and so. That's the barrier. I don't know the answer to it, but those are some of the barriers. Giving a man a Bible study and a woman's like, I'll never do that. And the man doesn't come and they end up at life church. Yeah. Or they come to the door and they just don't feel like they fit in. I could have put myself in their shoes. Could you imagine if everybody's in a nice suit and you're in your nicest clothes and it's, you know, it's a t shirt and jeans and, and you, you're just like, I don't feel at place here. And then the other point I was making is sometimes we think that, you know, our worship is too much, that we get too wild and that we don't want guests to be frightened. And I would say that as long as it's proper and as long as it's in the Holy Ghost, that that's what the guests need. They need an apostolic experience when it comes to worship. We don't need to tone that down, you know. Yeah. That's what we offer that nobody else offers. We take that away. I mean, we got the truth, but yeah. they don't know the truth yet. You know,
0: they're not going to be attracted to stick around long enough to hear it. And I think that's a really good point that you make that you're not saying that we should change our standards of dress, our holiness to conform to the world. What I would emphasize in that is that they notice they don't need me to come and point it out. And so if you've spent a year cultivating a relationship with a family, teaching them a Bible study, and they've worked through any discomfort that they felt about coming and they're there and they're in the, in the seat in our sanctuary and they're experiencing the love of God. Like the absolute worst thing that I could do is anything in my attitude or anything that I say that would make those people feel more out of place. Yeah. So, I mean, a a loving response to them, a kind of an overwhelming friendliness, you know, kind of maybe even more so than what we would, feel naturally in our like own personalities to do.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: To make sure people know that they're loved and wanted there and that nothing is done to make them feel more out of place than they might already feel.
1: That's exactly it. In fact, like I can give you examples. My dad's like, you know, overwhelmed by the way the church is loving him. And when we were new in church, we weren't apostolic, like I said. And in fact, statistics say it takes seven years for a woman to fully transform into all of the holiness standards and uh, we never once felt out of place pastor never addressed any of that with us and God began to reveal those things to us so we had our own revelations Mm -hmm. and so that's another powerful thing is like not telling people how to dress but understanding that let God reveal that to him because you can't take away a revelation, Mm. you know? Mm. And and so we we begin to change over time. But when we was at the church, I mean, Sister Raina walked up and hugged us and said, oh, I love you. We'd never met her, but we really (laughs) believed that she loved us. We was like, oh my goodness, this is, she loves us, you know? (laughs) So yes, I am not saying anything about, I told you it's a tough subject, you know? But I'm not saying anything about our standards and the way we dress, but I am saying that a barrier that I have faced with multiple people who are baptized and trying to get them in the church, and they even love pastors preaching. But a lot of the times it's like, well, you know, you guys wear suits and I I don't even own a suit, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know?
0: Yeah, it's definitely something for us, I think, as a church and as individuals to kind of examine Because I I grew up and I believe this still that we present our best to God, that we don't, you know, come into church anyway Once we have a relationship with him, that it is important to present ourselves in a way that's uh, offering him our best on a Sunday. But at the same time, we have to think about that's not the way it necessarily is coming across to someone who doesn't have that understanding. And so if what I'm trying to do in praise to God is actually harmful to new people coming in, then maybe that's not the best thing for me to do. And maybe I need to make some adjustments. Maybe I need to talk to the Lord about that and say, Lord, what would you have? What would you actually have me wear? What would you actually have me do in this situation so that I am loving the people that you've called me to love? Because that's our goal. It's not about what I look like on a Sunday. It's not about if I'm in you know my nicest, newest outfit. It's about, am I there with a heart that's ready to love people? Yeah, that's good. Well, we've hit on a bunch of different things here. Is there anything that you wanted to talk about that I have not thought to ask you about?
1: I I think we talked about quite a bit. <laughs> All
0: right. Well, I just wanted to make sure there wasn't something I was forgetting that was really important for us to say. Before we wrap up the call, we always ask our guests the same question at the end. Our show is called Good Questions. So I like to ask every guest, what is a good question that you're asking yourself, Lee?
1: Okay, so on a serious note, The question I always ask myself is, what is the Holy Ghost saying to me? And that sounds like such a simple question, but ask yourself right now, what is the Holy Ghost saying to you? You know, walk up to one of your friends and just out of nowhere, ask them, hey, what's the Holy Ghost saying to you? And it's one of the most hardest questions to answer if you're not thinking about it, if you're not aware, if you're not searching it. But Pastor Justin Anthony asked me that years ago, and that's a question I'm asking myself all the time. And lately, we went through a transition where my oldest son has gotten married and moved out, you know, he has his own apartment with his wife. And I'm asking myself, did I do enough? Did I pray enough in the house? Did I I show him enough on how to be a good man? And I have to fall back to what is the Holy Ghost saying to me? Mm -hmm. And I, I believe that God's telling me I did everything and I'm seeing the fruits of their home. Uh, They're becoming Sunday school teachers. You know, my youngest one sending me Bible verses in the morning before school and asking, Dad, what does this mean, you know? So I'm always asking myself that. What is the Holy Ghost saying to me? And then on a non-serious topic, I'd Mm -hmm. ask this. My son just got a job at American Airlines and we get free airline tickets. (laughs) So I'm asking myself, where am I going next?
0: Oh, where are you going? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that'll be fun to explore all the places you'll be able to go with that. That's fantastic. I appreciate you so much for having this conversation with me. There's so much good wisdom that comes from the perspective that you bring to the church. And I just am very thankful to be able to to sit and chat with you from time to time and to hear the way that the Lord has worked in your lives and the things that he's giving you to teach the rest of us. I think it's just fantastic. I know that our listeners are really going to enjoy listening to you share it here. So thank you so, so much for spending some time to talk to me about this.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me on the show. I I love your show. I'm a big fan.
0: You know, the more conversations I have with people who are doing amazing things in the kingdom of God, the more I'm reminded Jesus knew what he was talking about when he said the greatest commandments are to love God and love our neighbors. We make things so complicated sometimes, but if we can get back to those two priorities, all the issues we are trying to solve truly will take care of themselves. Make sure you're growing in your personal relationship with God and then go love people. The church will grow when we grow in love. I am certain this episode spoke to someone today. I hope you'll reach out and tell us what kind of passion it sparked in you. You can find us on social media. On Instagram, we are at Good Questions Show, and I'm at Jessica jessicatanderup. That's Jessica T, as in Tuesday, A-N-D-E-R-U-P. You can also find our Facebook page. Just search Good Question with Jessica Tander at Podcast. Or shoot us an email at goodquestionshow at gmail.com. This podcast is a production of Good Question Media and is produced and hosted by me, Jessica Tanderup. My co-producer, editor, and the man who reminds me to record these intro and outro segments so the episode can be completed on time is my husband, Dave Tanderup. Our audio engineer is Josh Walzik. That's it for this week. We will be back here next Tuesday with another Good Question. See y'all then.